Broadcasting from Cincinnati, Ohio. And Phoenix, Arizona. You are listening to Work Life 360. This podcast is all about helping one another navigate through the noise and the clutter that's holding us back from our potential to be a healthier, successful community. Whether it's stress, head trash, time management, tips on living a healthier lifestyle, or just navigating lifelong goals, this podcast is everything work-life related. I'm Rhonda. And I'm Bruce. We're here to provide you with tips and tricks to help you navigate through the day-to-day mental blocks. Let's get started. Welcome back to episode number 41 of Work Life 360. Today, we've got a special guest with us, Mr. Jacob Davis of Village Financial. He's a CPA, and that ties in perfectly with our topic today, which is preparing ourselves for tax season. Uh, But first, if you are a first-time listener, welcome. You did it. You found us. Uh, If you've been with us for a while, thank you for continuing to join us. Each and every week as Rhonda and I deliver great content with new tips, tricks, and techniques to helping you live a better you. Uh, But again, first, today is all about preparing for taxes. So, uh, Jacob, Rhonda, how are we today? I am doing well. This is Jacob, and I'm happy to be here. Um, it is. I'm in Oklahoma City, and it is freezing cold. So oh, I am no. layered up, trying to stay warm. <laughs> so it's a balming 17 degrees here in Cincinnati. It is going to be 67 here in Phoenix, Arizona. So no. oh, my sorry, goodness. guys. <laughs> but Jacob, I'm. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm really excited to just sit back as a listener and hear some of the advice that you have for our listeners to really think about their financial wellness. You know, sometimes we really let that take a back seat in terms of priorities in our life because we're so busy with whatever it is that we have to do right now, right here in the moment. We don't think about our long-term health when it comes to financial well-being. So I'm really excited to listen to not only your tips, but I'm curious to find out a little bit about what prompted you to go into this profession and then maybe share some of the joys, the triumphs that you've seen with your clientele and whatever else um, you'd like to share with our listeners. So thank you for your time. Thank you, you, Rhonda. Yeah, Jacob, you just want to give us a a synopsis of of who you are, what you do, how would you be, like Rhonda said, like how would you become to be CPA? Like, yeah, turn it over to you, brother. Sure. Well, thanks for having me, first and foremost. Um, I got to call Rhonda out for a second. She said she was excited to talk about taxes. Um, And so I just want to say that nobody's ever excited to talk about taxes. So so even even me, and it's my job, I chose this life and I'm not excited to talk. Well, I like talking about taxes, but I can't imagine anybody outside of my profession would. Um, but it is a very, the, the thing about taxes, it's, it's universal. Every, every single person, every citizen of the United States, and frankly all over the world, have to pay some form of taxes. So it, just like the old saying says, it's uh, death and taxes are the only two guarantees in life. You were just so, in my head. <laughs> that's what yeah. my father would always say. Yeah, so it is a useful skill, and that's part of kind of why I got into the business. Frankly, I, I consider myself, and maybe I'm deluding myself here, but I consider myself a not very accountant-like accountant. Um, in college, I was an English major, um, but I was dating someone a couple years older than me and realized that the only way for that to actually make any money was uh, to continue on to more and more years and years of grad school, law school, whatever. So. I kind of sold out and I became an accounting major, um, but I didn't do it for no reason. I, 
<clears throat> I grew up in a, a you know, middle-class family, and my parents uh, struggled, like most families do, with money from time to time. And I didn't want to do that. And that doesn't mean becoming a CPA will make you rich, because there's a lot of hard work involved. But, um, but I did want to speak the language of business and speak the language of personal finance. Mm. And so I got into it with that motivation, and that has kind of propelled me to where I am now. Um, so yeah, it's uh, my favorite part of my job is the practical application of it and talking to everybody, um, all my clients, from people who make you know very small salaries to to multimillionaires who are just killing it um, and just trying to help them be a tax efficient. Um, and so, so yeah, that's that's kind of the motivation. Um, got into it kind of maybe as a sellout, a quote unquote sellout, and I'm saying that tongue in cheek. Uh, but I've come to love it, and it's uh, served me well, and I hope I serve my clients well. I should clarify my excitement about taxes <laughs> now that you called sure. me out. So I'm the one who is a lousy saver. Just, you know, I was a single mom, pretty poor, living paycheck to paycheck, like a lot of folks. So I was the person that selected to have the most taxes taken out of my check so that I could have this money come back to me so I could purchase things that I couldn't afford to because I was a lousy saver because I was living penny to penny. So the excitement for me was, oh, it's tax season, I'm going to get money back. And I understand that philosophy wasn't well thought of, but me and my person when I was in my young adulthood years, that was the way I viewed it. So I had a lot of misperceptions and I wasn't really educated on how best to prepare, as you mentioned, how to be tax efficient. So probably a lot of people listening don't really understand all the nuances of how best to set ourselves up so that it's not such a stressful time period. Right, absolutely. <clears throat> and, you know, even uh, Albert Einstein is a guy who uh, said one time that taxes, that one of the hardest things in the world to understand is the tax code. Um, right. So it's not... It's not anybody's lack of intelligence um, that uh, makes taxes confusing. The, the whole tax code in general is not intuitive. And so it has to be learned, has to be acquired. And, uh, you know, if it's not your everyday life, you, you kind of set your, your paychecks in motion and you kind of don't ever think about it. Mm -hmm. But uh, kind of what you alluded to, Rhonda, is <clears throat> something that a lot of people do. Uh, a lot of people like to get that refund at the end of the year. And... Um, and that's fine. It's kind of a to-each-their-own type of mentality. Um, but what, what everybody should know is that your tax return when you do that every year is really a true-up of an ongoing annual estimate. So every time you have taxes withheld from your check, that's really just an estimate of what you will ultimately owe. Yeah, the, the tax return is a true-up of an ongoing annual uh basically estimate of your taxes throughout the year. And so whenever you do your tax return, that's like kind of checking your work and it says, okay, these are the taxes I actually owed. And so if you did not pay enough in, that means you owe the balance, the exact balance of what you uh, you know, owe for the year. If you get a refund, that means you overpaid throughout the year in the form of withholdings from your paycheck and you get that back, which is great. It feels good to a lot of people to get that refund. But really what that also means is that your paychecks throughout the year were a little bit too small because you had over withholding happening mm. and your paychecks throughout the year were too small. So you could have actually been getting paid more throughout the year. 
um, instead of just getting it all in one lump sum. But some people prefer the lump sum, right? I mean, sometimes my, one of my favorite stories is I've got this attorney. He makes uh, really good money, you know, six figures. And him and his wife are not good with money, even though they make a lot of money. <laughs> and <clears throat> the funny thing is, I, I told him, hey, you know, you got this $9,000 refund coming to you, and it seems to be happening every year. Um, if you want to adjust your W-4 with your local HR department, then you can get that done and you can get paid more throughout the year and maybe get closer to break even on your tax return. And he was saying, I don't have the self-discipline to, <laughs> to get paid more throughout the year and I depend on this eight to $9,000 refund every year to replenish my savings and to either take us on vacation or to catch up on bills. And so that was, mm. that's when I kind of bow out. I say, okay, that's not how I do things, but to each their own. If you want, that, if you want to overpay your taxes throughout the year and get a giant refund, that's uh, you know, more power to you. So I guess the way, one way to look at it would be almost like a forced savings account, you know, or a, maybe even a, a forced mini retirement account that if, you're, if you are dumping more taxes into this account, you're going to get it back, but it could be, you know, some people need that discipline. My younger mindset was the more money I made, the more I would spend and not having that self-discipline to save because of so many responsibilities just gave me some peace of mind that oh, felt like almost like Christmas. Yeah, absolutely. And that's very <laughs> common uh, for people to overwithhold. I mean, it, most people do not want to owe. So, you know, if you get a couple thousand dollars, that's, that's pretty normal. Um, but, you know, once you start getting above 4,000, then you have an adjustment you could probably make to, <laughs> to maybe not take that big of a refund and get closer to what you should be making throughout the year. But no, that, <clears throat> that's very understandable. Um, just, you know, people have different, different mentalities. And Bruce, you said, you know, you treat it kind of like a savings account, a mini savings account where you get all this money back each year. Just know that that savings account has a 0% interest rate and you're not earning any money on that. So you are loaning the government mm -hmm. all that extra right. tax money, tax, uh, you know, interest free for a year. So, you know, if oh, you've yeah, got a real, financial brain, um, you're, you're kind of thinking, I don't want to loan the government money for free. And so that, that makes you kind of want to go more tax efficient. Mm. Yeah. Do you see the perception or the perspective of where people could, could benefit from their own personal spending habits? Um, yep. Like Rhonda, your, your younger self, uh, me, myself, I am becoming more and more uh, tax efficient, as you well know, and, and want to take advantage of every tax code and nook and cranny that's out there and it's complicated it's complex um that's why i think a lot of people get intimidated by it um, and end up losing out on a lot of the the benefits of particular taxes and codes and write-offs and because it is cumbersome and the the, the monster in the closet of well you're, you're gonna get audited and then if you get audited mm -hmm. you can go to jail and like that's kind of scary but so i think a lot of people maybe just do the bare minimum um, to avoid such monster in the closet. But what are some of the things that, so here we are, this is, this is kind of mid-January, okay? So we're approaching tax season. There's some mm -hmm. people, Rhonda, you mentioned before we jumped on that you know, you've gotten some of your tax documents. Mm -hmm. Jacob, what are some steps today or maybe in the next couple of weeks to prepare themselves for, um, to sit down with their accountant or sit down and, and 
get on and do an online um, tax submission. What are steps that people can take today? Yeah, it's, you know, it's not rocket science. It's a pretty simple, just organizational kind of discipline. And uh, just one, of the, one thing to note, a key date, <clears throat> obviously April 15th is tax day, but another good key date to know is that January 31st is the day when all the tax documents are due to the recipients. Mm. And by tax documents, I mean your W-2 from your employer, your 1099 from anybody you're contracting with. Banks should be sending you interest 1099s and mortgage interest 1098s and all those types of documents from your investment institutions. All that should be coming to you on January 31st. Not all of them come on time. And so what I usually tell people who are really anxious to get their refund um, because they know they're getting a refund is, you know what? Cool your jets until about Valentine's Day because <laughs> you want to make sure all of those documents have trickled in because the last thing you want to do is pay a tax preparer to do your taxes too early and then you get a document late and then you have to do a, an amended return and then pay your tax preparer again to do the amended return. So I usually say around that first to second week in February is when you really start, if you really want to get them done early, that's when you really need to start kind of getting your documents together to, to get to your accountant. Um, but really the, the discipline is, simple you just get a manila folder and as those documents continue to roll in physically or through email because um, a lot of people get pdfs this these days <clears throat> um, you know print them off put them in a folder and don't think about it until mid-february but just continue to compile mm -hmm. those in the same place um, even even sending to your accountant piecemeal is kind of risky because you know you send 10 different emails to somebody, you know, th those are likely to get lost in the mix. So it's good to get everything all together at once. Um, but also maybe you could create a checklist for yourself on what you've had historically. So if you've historically prepared tax returns for yourself or had your accountant do it, what is the previous documentation you've had? If you have a W-2, you're obviously expecting that. If you had a couple jobs throughout the year, you may have two. Your spouse will have, maybe if that person works, if you have, you know, no banks are paying interest right now, but you may have a, a smidge of interest that you have to report as, you know, $10 earned from the bank. Um, if you own a home, you, you need a property tax statement, which usually is on a form 1098. I'm just, these are just checks on the checklist to, to make sure you have, and you can compare it to previous years and um, just kind of know, I think I have everything. Um, but those are just some examples of some very common documents. Um, also, if you give to charity or your church, um, you're, <clears throat> if you gave over $250 for the year, you should be getting some form of a statement from the church or the charity. Um, if you gave to Uncle Joe because he was, you know, having hard times, you know, that was really nice of you, but that's not deductible on your taxes. So, mm -hmm. um, so you have to, you know, charity, uh, it's, you know, 501c3 organizations, which is just a fancy word for nonprofit, they have to be qualified. But that's another one to keep track of. Um, you know, and then everybody's tax situation is unique. Some people, like I'm in Oklahoma, so you had a lot of oil and gas royalty money around here. In other states, you have other forms of income. So just compare to previous years and make that checklist. And when you think you have everything, then give a complete set of those documents to your tax preparer or get ready to log into TurboTax online and handle it yourself. 
You just mentioned something that's interesting to me. So I lived on the East Coast and I had the same tax preparer for decades. I moved to Arizona on the other side of the country and I kept him. He was in Pennsylvania. Last year I switched to someone in Arizona. Can you recommend to our listeners, are there any pros and cons as to who or whatever you use for your tax preparation based upon demographics? Or are you fully versed or have easy access to some of the nuanced different state to state? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's not, there's not a perfect answer to that. Um, <clears throat> you know, all states are different. No CPA, no matter how good they are, you know, goes to school and learns the individual tax laws of every single state. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, there's 50 plus 50 states plus territories out there to worry about. Some states don't even have income tax like Florida and Texas and Washington, to name a few. Um, But all those tax preparers should, if they're worth their salt, should have good software that kind of updates on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And the good, the nice thing is usually your federal income tax return flows right into your state return. So you you can't do your state return without having done your federal. And really they're just pulling numbers from your federal return. Um, but no, you're, I think in general, uh, you know, it's not a bad idea to have a local CPA. And, and I say that to Bruce who's on the line, he's in Kentucky, I'm in Oklahoma. So Bruce, <laughs> don't fire me because I gave you that advice. But, you're good. You're good. but no, I mean, you know, here's a, here's a very difficult circumstance. When you live in, say, New Jersey, but you work in New York City, um, and maybe you do jobs, you know, all those states that are very close geographically together, a lot of times you have overlap, and you Mm -hmm. probably will end up having two sets of tax returns for the states. That's a situation where you probably do need to find somebody local who's very well versed in these interstate treaties, tax treaties, so you know you don't get all taxed in New York and then double taxed in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. It's a um, so it's kind of geographically specific. But if you're in one state, generally a CPA anywhere in the nation, if they're willing, can handle <clears throat> can handle your your state taxes um, because they're they're relatively simple. Um, but yeah, if you do have kind of multi-states to consider, it's probably worth finding somebody local. I was in that situation, working full-time in Washington, D.C., and then I also was a subcontractor or subcontracted some work out in New Jersey. I was getting notifications in terms of paying state taxes because that seemed to mm-hmm. come up, and I still don't really understand what that all entailed, but it seemed like I ended up paying state taxes in two places if i'm recalling this correctly this was like 11 years ago and i had mm-hmm. paid somewhere that i hadn't needed to um and i didn't find out till after the fact oh that's frustrating yeah what should be happening is you <clears throat> most states allow you to apportion the port the part of your income where you earned in a specific state and exclude the rest or some states make you claim all of it, but then you get a credit on your tax return for state for taxes you paid in another state. So very rarely, if you ever get double taxed, you definitely mm-hmm. shouldn't be. But you know, some states are more expensive than others. Um, mm-hmm. Probably the, the most expensive state and the most expensive city would be New York City. Um, you got state taxes, and on top of that, you got another you know two to three percent in uh, city taxes. And so that's 10% on the state side of things before you even consider the federal side of things. So yeah, state taxes is definitely something you want to be you know, aware of. And if you have multiple states, you wanna make sure um, you know 
you have a professional consulting you on, okay, what, what are my liabilities to each state so you don't end up overpaying? Mm. Um, so yes. <clears throat> but otherwise, I mean, I, I say this at the risk of my, you know, my business. Um, you know, if you have a pretty simple tax situation, I, I advocate for products, free products like TurboTax, um, things online where, you know, if you just have a W-2, you own a home, um, you know, those are great intuitive products. And um, I, I highly recommend if you think you can do it, um, then I, by all means, save yourself a little money. But as soon as your tax situation gets, you know, to a level of complexity where you have even the slightest question about it, that uh, your taxes is not something you want to be wrong about. So um, that's when you need to ask a professional. Just through my background and, you know, working with you, it can get, it can get hairy, uh, especially when you're talking business, you're talking personal, you're talking, you know, we've got Roth IRA, Roth IRA backdoor conversions, farms, all sorts of stuff. Yes, like <laughs> it, it gets uh, <laughs> yeah. overwhelming and that, you know, Jacob, when we, you and I first started talking, I'm sitting there like, I don't even know where to begin. Like, I've got all yeah. this stuff, and, you know, I'm sending just doing mass dumps, just like, here, take it all. Do what you do. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. You, you want a, an accountant that can kind of take that off your plate, but that can still communicate to you. So, you you know, if you, you, you know, an accountant should speak to you on the level of detail that you want to receive. So if you just want to say, hey, figure this out for me. I don't want to <laughs> mess with it. That's fine. But if you have questions, that accountant should be able to speak to your questions and, you know, slap you down when you're trying to be too aggressive or wrong about something, but also be gentle when he's, you know, have the heart of a teacher whenever you're asking certain questions. But, but yeah, as soon as you have any kind of complexity at all, um, it's, it's not something you want to wing and try to do yourself, no matter how smart you are or how do-it-yourself your mentality is. Um, it's definitely something getting a professional set of eyes on if you've got complexity in your situation. Yeah, because for years we, we did use TurboTax uh, for about, so I've been married 10 years, probably the first five years of our marriage we used TurboTax and then it got complicated and you know my wife was spending hours on hold with TurboTax and it's like this is not, it's <laughs> not worth it. Like let's go talk to another human that specializes in this and we get their full attention for you know an hour because that's about how long it typically took for us to get our taxes done. But uh, TurboTax is great. We, I, I recommend it to, if you have, like you said, if you have a simple, um, you know, a mortgage, a couple of vehicles, both of you are W-2 employees, maybe some, you know, child tax credits, something like that, that's perfect. But uh, anything more than that, it, it gets a little hairy. Um, yeah. From Absolutely. my experience anyways. Well, when you use TurboTax, that's what I used to use as well. And I'm not learning anything. I know for me, peace of mind, when I switched to an actual person, a CPA, this gentleman that I used for years, he did a really good job at explaining all the different areas and how to prepare and what that meant. Curious, Jacob, how do you see your role in helping people that maybe want to learn a little bit about their finances? So maybe... They work with a professional for a few times and then they feel a little more confident going forward when they're going to make those preparations for themselves at some point, if they choose, but they may want to remain in that partnership as well. Right. That's a, it's a good question. I mean, I would say generally uh, most people's situations over time get more complex and not simpler. Mm. Um, so it's not, it's not very common where somebody is, you know, paying a professional and then all of a sudden they 
you know, it's one of those teach a man to fish type situations. Um, you know, I, frankly, it's not a role of a CPA to teach a man to fish, but that doesn't mean I'm withholding information so you have to pay somebody to do it for you. It's really, I'm a professional is what I do. Um, I have years of training um, and I'm not gonna be able to teach you everything all at once, but I should have the heart of a teacher um, to help explain you know, if you have questions, why you're paying a certain thing or, you know, there's a naive mentality sometimes with people that are not very financially focused or tax avert, tax um, adept. And they say, <clears throat> they, they equate getting, say, a refund at the, at the tax preparation time with how good their CPA is. Mm -hmm. When really, that's, that's not a function of your mm -hmm. CPA, not finding certain loopholes or whatever. That's really, you know, did you have enough taxes withheld? I mean, that the main, as complicated as the tax code is, um, the, it's actually pretty simple. Um, the, the overarching concepts is when you make money, you owe taxes. And when you make more money, you owe more taxes. And the, I, yeah, more money, more problems. Um, and as you make more money, you may go into another tax bracket. One, one story that I think is kind of interesting is, you know, I've got a lot of people come to me and they say, hey, I'm, I just got a raise and I'm really excited, but I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing that mm -hmm. I got this raise. Because if I make too much money, will... You know, I jump from a 10% tax bracket to a 25% tax bracket, which means I'll get less net. Well, mm -hmm. no, you always want to make more money. Um, the way the tax system works is they are tiered tax brackets. And I'm not trying to bore you to death, but really it's, it's as simple as saying, hey, the first, when you're single, you know, the first $10,000 of your wages gets taxed at 10%. And then the next tranche of between $10,000 and $40,000 gets taxed at 12%. And then everything above 40,000 to wherever you land is taxed at 22%. And then if you somehow are lucky enough to hit the next tax bracket, it goes to 24, then 33, then 35, mm. then 37. So no, the answer is not, do I make less money to come out with more? No, you always, you know, be appreciative that you got your raise and you're making more money. Sure, your marginal tax rate might be higher, but you didn't all of a sudden lose out on a net amount because you, quote unquote, went into a no new tax bracket. It's not an all or nothing thing. It's a different tranches of your income get taxed at different levels. Does that make sense? Yes. Sure. So, Jacob, let me ask you this. So, imagine, and this is just a hypothetical situation, you're a, sure. you're a W-2 employee, um, and all of a sudden you get a, you switch from being W-2 to, well, I should say salary. You're a salary employee, and then you switch to commission, and you get a ton of commission in that last quarter. Mm -hmm. uh, would that be like a best case scenario is to get all of your income in the last quarter then? No, not really. I mean, if you go back. Um, no, I mean, what should happen if you're getting commission and you're a W-2 employee, you should have taxes withheld from that commission. And if it's right. a big chunk of change, you'll have a big chunk of taxes withheld. So really, W-2 income, if you've got the right withholding, um, you know, uh, choices, um, it kind of takes care of itself. You, you, my goal is always to try to break even. Um, mm -hmm. I tell my, my clients that, try to break even. And maybe err on the side of overwithholding a tiny bit so you don't end up owing a ton of money. But even if you get a giant bonus at the end of the year, a giant commission, as long as you're withholding from that, um, it should kind of take care of itself. Um, where people get into trouble is whenever you're self-employed. Um, and sometimes people don't even know they're self-employed. And what I mean by that is 
If you're a W-2 employee, you know that you're a W-2 because you, you say you made a certain amount per month, but then that's not what your paycheck was. It was much lower because you had withholding. You had Social Security. You had Medicare. You had your state income tax, and you've had your federal income tax withheld, and it subtract all those things, and then you get to a net number. When you're a contractor, mm. it's called an independent contractor, um, you, you have no taxes withheld, and instead of a W-2 at the end of the year, you get a 1099. Well, uh, those, those, you know, flat payments of say, you know, if you make $10,000 a month, you know, there's, you're going to get a $10,000 check. You're not going to have withholdings or anything like that. That seems super nice on the front end, but what happens at tax time with a mm -hmm. lot of people who are not very educated on taxes is not only do they owe income tax on that $10,000 per month and state income tax, they also owe their share of Social Security and Medicare but they're, since they're considered self-employed by the state and by the, by the IRS, they also owe the employer side of Social Security and Medicare. So being self-employed <clears throat> makes you have to pay 15% in Social Security and Medicare on top of your regular income taxes, which can be, you know, let's call it 12%. That's 27% federal taxes right there before you mm -hmm. even factor in state. And so you may have heard, if you're, if you're a 1099 employee, you know, a lot of times people say, yeah, put, a, put away a third of your income because you're going to mm -hmm. owe it in taxes. And that's kind of where they get that. That's how that math kind of works out. Um, the only silver lining on the self-employment side is you can actually deduct reasonable business expenses from that income. Uh, when you're a W-2 employee, you have very few deductions you can take. You never can deduct against the W-2 income. Uh, you can find d deductions elsewhere uh, from mortgage interest to charity, stuff like that. But you can't say, you know, deduct your cell phone or deduct, you know, the cost of a, a new Android or an iPhone or a computer or office supplies that you have in your home office. Mm -hmm. So those are just some important distinctions to know up front instead of getting surprised at tax time uh, because a lot of 1099 uh, earners um, that don't even realize the nature of their self-employment get killed with taxes each year. How about someone who is tapping into a little bit of both of those spaces? Yeah, that, that's a great question. <clears throat> and the, what I would say is you probably do at that point need to consult with a professional. Um, if you know somebody that's willing to talk to you for free, like a friend, you know, just say, <laughs> hey, should I go talk to somebody for, and pay somebody for this? And um, if you're making a substantial amount in that 1099 income or that self-employed kind of side gig, then then I would absolutely say if you want to be tax efficient, you probably do need to talk to somebody who can help you kind of, you know, come up with the reasonable deductions. I'm not trying to tell anybody to cheat on their taxes here. Um, but I do think it's okay to take every deduction that you're entitled to as a self-employed person. Mm -hmm. And you may not know intuitively what those are. Uh, Bruce and I were just going down a list uh, the last couple of days about what's, you know, what's going to be considered a deduction for him, for his, you know, his business. And, uh, you know, there's, there's not a set list of deductible expenses. I mean, every, every job has different requirements from lots of travel to, you know, can you deduct meals? Uh, well, you can deduct meals that are related to business and only 50% of them are deductible. Uh, you don't get to deduct just your Taco Bell from lunch every day. So um, those are just some, you know, rules of thumb that you probably mm -hmm. do need to discuss uh, if you are self-employed with a professional. Um, because that 1099 income, even if it's side gig income, um, is not quote unquote taking care of itself like the W-2 withholding is 
um, on your W-2 side of things. So right. you definitely want to factor in that extra income to your tax projection. One other point that I think is important for self-employed people is that the government likes to be paid as they go or as you go. Um, and what that means is you can't just you know, earn all this gross income and then I mean, you can pay a giant lump sum in the form of taxes at the end of the year when you do your tax return, but you're also gonna see a pretty significant penalty on there for not paying as you go. Mm -hmm. uh, when you're a W-2 employee, you're having taxes withheld and your employer's paying those withholdings to the federal government and the state on your behalf, and so you're paying as you go. If you're self-employed, the requirement is that you need to come up with a quarterly estimate of what you owe and it's, you know, there's, there's not a perfect formula for it. I mean, I, I do tax projections for my clients, but if you're doing it on your own, you know, you have to make your best estimate of what you think you're going to owe for taxes and put that out there and, uh, on a quarterly basis. And that helps you not owe a penalty at the end of the year. Um, so that's, the IRS likes to get paid as they go, not once a year. Otherwise, they will charge penalties. And there's, there's a threshold to that penalty as well, right? Yeah, so it depends on how much... It kind of depends on how much you're making, but um, yeah, if you if you made a certain amount last year, then the IRS is going to require that you put at least 90% of your previous year's tax liability out there in the form of quarterly estimated taxes. You don't have to do that. It's not a requirement. You can still pay in lump sum, just get ready for the penalty. Um, but otherwise, if you want to have a safe harbor um, rule to not owe a penalty, then if you are making about what you did the previous year, you need to pay quarterly estimates at a bare minimum equal to 90% of what you did, what your tax liability was the previous year. So if your tax liability was $10,000 in 2020, uh, then you will need to have put in $9,000 worth of estimated taxes quarterly um, to have avoided a penalty. And just doing some quick math here, that's 2,250 per quarter is what that translates to, is what you should have put down if that was a, you know, that's, that theoretical case fits you. Question on the flip side. Yep. <laughs> For those folks that owe a bunch of money, how do you deal with breaking the news, first of all, <laughs> and trying to cushion the blow as you explain to them what to do next year to prevent that from occurring? Yeah, that's a great question. And it does actually affect people that are simply W-2 employees. Uh, what happens is, I, I see this most commonly when you have, um, you know, middle-aged folks who have had, you know, several kids, and all of a sudden their kids start aging out and going off on their own. And, you know, kids, among other things, are a wonderful tax benefit to each, <laughs> to each family. And once they start coming off of your tax return, you know, right now each kid is worth $3,000 to $3,600 per year. Um, and once those start coming off, those are pretty significant tax credits that go away. And so that's a great example of whenever people, their kids start turning 18, or if they're in college and they've graduated college, they come off the tax return, I always tell the parents like, hey, be prepared. You need to go back to your HR department and say, hold, withhold extra income because you no longer have the benefit of some of these tax credits. Um, so that's sort of the advice I give. Um, but a lot of times I'm not privy to that until they owe a balance. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, that first time it's tough. It's, it's tough to tell them, hey, you're used to this, but here's what happened this year. And so my, the way I approach those situations is, like I've said before, have the heart of a teacher, explain it, and then help them adjust for next year. 
you know, if it's a giant amount you can't owe all at once or you can't pay all at once, uh, the IRS does have payment plans um, with, they're always going to charge interest. They never allow you to just have, you know, free money over time. They do have some payment plans uh, in place where people can kind of uh, pay their taxes as they go to get caught up. But really the goal is, you know, once, once you catch that problem, you know, you need to be with somebody who can help you, you know, mm. remedy that problem so you don't have it again. Thank you. That was very useful. Everything you've shared with us and having that checklist mentally prepare ourselves so that we can financially be fit for long-term health and well-being. Provided some great tips, Jacob. Thank you. Yeah, um, you're welcome. I guess final takeaways is manila envelope. You know, take your, <laughs> take those, those documents that are coming in the mail. Um, identify where you've got your money. Check online to see if your tax documents are available at a PDF, and if so, download them. Um, what are some, you know, manila envelope, review what you claimed last year. Um, what, are, what are a couple other things that people can do to prepare? Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> generally speaking, I mean, if you're self-employed, you know, the, the heaviest lift for a self-employed person is to come up with the you know business deductions that you have. Um, hopefully, if you're self-employed, you have kind of ring-tied that income and you know, those expenses off into a separate bank account, so that really all you have to do is mm -hmm. take a bank transaction activity download, and you can basically create a profit and loss or a quote-unquote P&L from that, and that is what would be used for your tax return. But if you've kind of allowed your expenses to get mixed in with your personal, your business expenses into your personal, you have a pretty big project on your hands mm -hmm. where the CPA is not going to be able to really go through and help you. You're going to have to go through your statements and pick out those individual expenses. And that's yeah, tough. And, and sometimes your CPA can help a little bit saying, okay, well, you know, generally, if you, know, if you use your phone for business, that's probably something you can deduct. And but. You know, you've, you've probably seen movies where the, you see the, the client come in with this proverbial shoebox full of expenses and they just hand it off to an accountant. Well, that's a good way to get a really expensive CPA bill is making that person do all that work and dig through your receipts. Um, but really, other than, you know, if you're not self-employed, it's really just a matter of getting those January 31st documents and kind of compiling them and handing them off. Um, but if you want to talk, I don't know if we have time, but I mean, there is sure. a, maybe a list of some things we can talk about, about even if you're a W-2 employee, some, some wise things you can do to try to become more tax efficient, or you can at least have the goals and kind of know what the tax implications are long term. Um, but just some basic things. Um, the government likes to encourage home ownership, and so there are tax incentives um, tied in to owning a home. Uh, so you know, property taxes is potentially deductible to you. If you have a mortgage on that home, you know, the mortgage interest is deductible. Uh, I never, one of my biggest pieces of advice I always tell people is never make life decisions based on the tax implications. Um, <laughs> you know, it, yeah, the, the married uh, tax brackets are a little more generous than the single tax brackets, but if, you're, if that person's not the one, <laughs> don't get married <laughs> for tax reasons. And I joke with my friends who, maybe have a you know their wife is pregnant and around the the turn of the year i'm like well you know if you have that baby on if you guys induce on december 31st you get a tax benefit for the tax year because if you have a baby even on one day you get that extra thirty six hundred dollars uh, but i'm kidding obviously i my biggest advice is 
whether it's business or personal, don't make uh, life decisions based on the tax consequences. <laughs> That's my caveat, but I am saying things like home ownership, um, you know, eventually finding the one that being married, I'm not saying you should do this for the taxes, um, but it, it is something that helps from a tax perspective. Having kids, um, that's a, I'm not telling you need to have kids because if you don't want to, you don't want to, and you don't want to bring children in the world that you're not prepared to raise, but they, they're also tax benefits. Giving to charity is a uh, tax benefit. Um, those are all things that kind of factor in. Uh, and maybe the, another big one, last one, is that everybody should have is um, giving to retirement. You can give mm -hmm. to a pre-tax retirement plan and that cuts whatever you've contributed towards retirement, you get to take off of your taxable income for the year. So yeah, you don't get to touch that money until you're at least 59 and a half years old. Yes, that's a weird age limit, 59 and a half, but you've at least reduced your tax burden and that incentivizes you to defer your income mm -hmm. into the future when you've retired and you're probably making less income and have less of a high tax rate as an older individual, not that far from retirement. Um, my younger self, I wish that I had taken that to heart and really invested more for my retirement. And at the time, again, my younger self not understanding the implications of making those changes early on and not investing um, in 401k plans or retirement programs my employer had. I would encourage any listeners sure. to really think twice about that because now I see like when I get that check it's really not that much difference in terms of income that I'm netting bringing home versus not making that investment and then now years later oh so retirement at 65 yeah not gonna happen <laughs> yeah and that's a tough thing to do especially when you're young it's a tough thing to defer that income but saving for retirement is a dual has a dual benefit yes you get to take a little bit off of your tax burden in the current year but you also you know, you're, you're putting away money for the future. And when you do get closer to that age, that nest egg that you've accumulated over the years or lack of one will either make you feel very secure in your mm -hmm. post-retirement years, or it's gonna make you freak out and make you work until you're 80 years old. Mm -hmm. So younger population, think. <laughs> think long-term, long-term health. <laughs> yeah, that was the biggest piece of advice I got early on is, you know, even if it's 20 bucks a paycheck, mm -hmm. You know, if, you're, if your company has a 401k and they match, get to that match point, right? That's free money. Mm -hmm. There's obviously a vesting schedule and, you know, you know there, there's a vesting schedule. There's, there's things that delay that, you know, matching money, but you're preparing for yourself when you are in 20 bucks. That, and when I Absolutely. was right out of college, mm -hmm. it, that's what, it was 20 bucks. It was 20 bucks mm -hmm. a month. It was, and then as time goes on, you put more and more and more, and then you max yeah. it out. And, and, uh, yeah, it's it's a psychological discipline, right? I mean, it's yep. you would do that early with not that much money so that by the time you make a little more money over time, you know, you've already gotten used to the idea of taking a certain percentage out of your paycheck. Um, if you start trying to make up ground at the end, you know, I know this isn't a math class, but just the compound interest and the way the stock market historically has risen over the course of time, you know, no matter how much you dump into retirement at the end, you know, as you get closer to that retirement age, it's probably never going to catch up to what it would have been had you started, mm -hmm. you know, with your first job out of college, even with those meager, tiny amounts you're putting in. So mm -hmm. it's very just a psychological thing to always try every time you can to give to your retirement um, and just be disciplined about it from the beginning. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we talked earlier, you know, we first got on about the idea of, you know, the, the big return at the end of the year because it's a, kind of a, a forced savings account. This is the same concept. You know, you're not going to miss that money if you don't have it. But the payoff is, you know, if you're getting four or $5,000 in, in a tax return, you're looking forward to that check. Multiply that by 30 years of working, 40 years of working, what that return is going to look like. And it ties in, Bruce, with our whole concept of work-life 360, what we do every single day to foster health and well-being in our lives today at this point in our journey, wherever we are. The consequences of our behaviors now are going to impact us 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now. And keeping that in mind can maybe help us see the bigger picture for a healthier, happier survival especially when it comes to our finances. That's right. Awesome. Jacob, we want to thank you for your time. Really shared some insightful tips for our listeners. <laughs> I appreciate it, Rhonda. I appreciate the opportunity to be here and to answer some questions and to just kind of, you know, shoot the breeze with you guys as we prepare for tax season. It's coming whether you want it to or not. And so maybe the biggest piece of advice, and most people, you know, do a good job of this, but you stay on the grid. You know, file a tax return every year because it's not just about getting right with the government, which is a huge thing. But if you ever do want to purchase a home or finance a car or do things like that, a lot of times they're going to use historical tax returns as the basis for whether or not they're going to loan you money. So, yeah, you want to you got to earn income to be able to afford a mortgage or things like that. But you also got to do your taxes to actually do underwriting for stuff. So taxes affects almost every part of your life, whether you like it or not. So stay on the grid. File all those tax returns and if you have any questions at all any hesitancy or lack of confidence you need to consult a professional uh, for tax prep help thank you awesome awesome well this concludes our episode of work life 360 thank you for joining us hope that you guys got some tips and tricks as it relates to your taxes and makes this tax filing season just a little bit easier <laughs> thank you guys and and be well thanks again all jacob right. You're welcome. Goodbye now. Be well, everybody. That wraps up this episode of Work Life 360. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to check out all of our other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes, any links, any articles that we've referenced in today's episode. We appreciate your time and ask you to send any feedback to worklife360podcast at gmail.com. We value your time and we're here for you. Contact me directly if you'd like to learn more about me coming to run a free sales training workshop for your team. Follow me on LinkedIn or check out my website at brucepumierswc.com. If you'd like to learn more about me or have a free health consult, check me out on LinkedIn or visit my website at planningtheseedsforhealthyliving.com. Thanks for joining us.